Computer, initialize Holosuite. to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I am one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 2, Episode 8, Necessary Evil. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. That's right, and you should find us and follow us because we have a lot of fun there and make a lot of Trek references. And we don't just talk about Deep Space Nine, we talk about all the other Treks, so I do try to keep it spoiler light, but it can happen. And considering that the majority of the shows that we talk about are also 30 plus years old, I don't feel like there's really a spoiler that should ruin (laughs) anything for you at this point. Right. Um, But yeah, uh, find us, follow us, and have a good time with us. Um, So, as David said, tonight we are talking about Necessary Evil, but before we get into it, of course, we have to do our updates. So, David, how are things going for you? Man, I got no new real updates for you this week. (laughs) Everything's the same in my life. No big upsets, no changes, nothing. How about you? Um, Actually, the same. Everything, there's no real updates here, so, I mean, the biggest update is everything is the same. No major changes, you know, nothing has, you know, blown up or anything like that. So I'm actually enjoying that as we move ever closer to World War III. I like that my life is somehow static as that goes on. I haven't paid $50 in gas for my 15-gallon car, and then this week I paid $60 for the first time ever. I was like, okay. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> I have I have never been happier about the fact that I work from home. Yeah. Than yeah. in these moments right here. Yeah. Now we uh feel blessed. Feel blessed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean that and then I, I I have to admit I did actually get a little fearful because you know they started putting out these, you know, these stories and these so-called police reports of people going around and um stealing gas and stealing catalytic converters. Now right. Um, I have actually not seen that in my area. Now, uh, you know, a few months back, my neighbor did say that, you know, she caught someone tampering with her car, attempted to steal her catalytic converter, didn't steal it, but did enough damage to the car that she had to like take it in and get it, I don't know, I guess reattached or whatever, but yeah, they weren't able to get it off. But I mean, how bold of someone to feel that comfortable to go through the neighborhood and, um, you know, with all the cars and the lights and everything else, you know, to, to do that. And uh, I certainly haven't seen anybody uh, attempting to uh, steal gas either. But they've been, rec- you know, they put out the messages and they, all the recommendations about getting like a a locking gas cap and parking under lights or parking, you know, in your garage or near your door and all this other kind of stuff. Right. You know, but um, haven't seen it yet. But and I hope I don't. But <laughs> it is one of those things that like I I am kind of wary of because again, since I work from home. I really don't have to go anywhere often, you know, right. trip to the store, doctor's appointment, whatever. But for the most part, my car is here. So I have taken to, you know, parking 
prominently where I can see my car at all times. Right. You know, just a quick look out the window and I can see my car. Yeah. Plus, you know, I have my you know my alarm system and everything else. But still, I yeah. mean, yeah. So that's kind of disappointing that people are you know acting that way. But yeah, I you know. Uh, yeah, I remember a couple of years ago I had or maybe I, well a couple of years ago I had my license plate stolen off my car, which was just weird. It's like man. There's someone driving around with my license plates now, trying to pretend they're me. So I immediately got those, you know, replaced. And a couple years before that, I had unlocked. I left my car unlocked, and so someone took some cash out. And I had some cokes in the back of the, you know, in the trunk, like cokes and sprites. Like I hadn't brought them in yet, <laughs> and they only had like two hands, so they couldn't grab both the cokes and the sprites. So they just took like I think the cokes. I remember being like so frustrated with myself. It was like I could have locked the door. This would never would have happened. But, eh, life moves on. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I guess in the grand scheme, those are kind of minor compared to, like, having, like, your your tire stolen or your whole car stolen, for that matter. You yeah. know, they just, they broke in and just took those things. But, yeah, I mean, it's still just, like, we're all, we're all struggling with this. We're all dealing with it. And don't inflict unnecessary suffering on somebody else just because you're, you know, you don't have gas in your car. Now, I don't have gas in my car. And part of the thing that was so troublesome about the report that I read was not so much that they're just, you know, opening gas, um, you know, like your, uh, you know, getting directly into your gas tank via where you fill up or whatever, but um, that they were cutting fuel lines and draining, yeah, draining, draining the, yeah, draining the gas from the fuel line. And it was like people were weren't discovering they had a problem until they would go to the gas station to fill up and gas would literally just be pouring, pouring out, out of the bottom of their car Ugh. as they're trying to pump gas, you know? That's terrible. So it's just like, yeah, it's like, okay, to add insult to injury there, you've now ruined my car Yeah. and I can't, you know, gotta get I have no choice. I have to get, fixed. yeah, I got to get yeah. towed. I got to get fixed. And it's thousands of dollars potentially. And you wasted at least $10 on gas. I'm sure just there on the ground oh. uselessly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with these gas prices, you probably waste more than that before you really notice, <laughs> you know? So yeah, right. I mean, it's just like, yeah, just don't, why are we inflicting greater suffering on other people? Just leave it alone. Like I, if, yeah. you, if you can't afford it, there's other options than, than that. So right. I hope, I hope it doesn't happen to me. I hope it doesn't happen to anybody. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, that just, it really just sucks. Like the more I thought about it, <laughs> the more I sat and thought about it, the more I was like, man, that would really, really suck. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. <sighs> but anyway. Crazy, man. Uh, right. <laughs> but back to Trek news. I, uh, in greater Trek verse, I do want to talk about real quick, uh, do my little Trek housekeeping. One, if you are not watching, uh, Star Trek Discovery or Star Trek Picard, especially the season, season four for Discovery, season two for Picard, you are missing out. I mean, as many complaints as there have been about Discovery, I feel like they are really nailing it right now on giving you a classic Trek story in the sense of, you know, instead of us dealing so much with the internal conflicts, things right now are very external, which was probably the the chief message that Roddenberry had with Star Trek when it began all the way back in the 60s was that basically humanity, we had solved all of our internal human conflicts. Right. And we were now reaching out into space and encountering new civilizations, organizations, new problems, and facing them as a communal group. 
and they have definitely brought that back in this season. So, of but, discovery in particular, of dis- yes, yeah. of discovery in, in particular. Now, I do feel like you can appreciate that more if you have watched what came before. Sure. But if you don't want to watch it, I understand that. And you want some truly unique stories, man, season four, season four is fantastic for it. They've given a lot, <laughs> a lot. I still don't agree with all of the alien redesign that they've done for some, you know, standard aliens that we knew before, like Ferengi, Kling, um, you know, Ferengi Klingons, Cardassians. As I said in another episode of our show, you know, the Cardassian redesign scared me when I saw it the first time. I didn't, didn't realize that's what it was at first. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, other than that, great stuff. It's interesting that you're talking about the Cardassian redesign being so different because in this episode we have tonight was, had a lot of Cardassian characters. Yes, a lot of Cardassians. Um, it's called a segue everyone. Yes, (laughs) but we will get back to that. I'm going to redirect this once again to Picard. I'm sorry. I have to, I have to say it. Star Trek Picard season two is fantastic. There's already been, there's only been two episodes so far. The first episode, the premiere of season two was, was excellent. And then they just went for it again in season, in episode two. And I've, I've enjoyed it. It's almost like they, their biggest mistake was that they let Picard and Discovery come out on the same night. They should have <laughs> broke that up. They should have made, like, Discovery is Thursday, Picard is Friday. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love the fact that on Thursday, I have to, I struggle to choose which one am I going to watch first, Discovery <laughs> or Picard. But, but the problem is, like, it's almost like they're competing. Which one gave the better episode, um, which one gave the better episode that night, you know? Yeah. And I don't, I I think Picard has won just barely. Okay. And I don't know if that's because I just really love those characters and seeing like your, your old favorites come back, you know? Right. But man, I, the story is great. The writing is great. The act, the acting is great. The, the CGI they're using, it's all just great. So if you haven't seen it, <laughs> go watch it. And then my last bit of housekeeping is, unfortunately it has been confirmed. Star Trek, the next generation will be leaving Netflix April 2nd. So, if you're watching it there, and you haven't finished by April 2nd, you're going to have to go and watch it on Paramount+. Plus. Now, I, I heard that there were a couple other platforms that might still be keeping it. Like, I think Pluto was one, which I don't know anything about that platform, but there you go. Right. Um, but it does seem like they are consolidating all of the Trek to at least one place, which is Paramount+. Plus. Deep Space Nine will remain on there, but it looks like that one will be on there probably until January of 2023. It seems like that's when their negotiation for the show, um, that's when it's supposed to be up anyway, and there will not be, most likely they're not going to renew it. Right. So, so again, Next Gen is leaving April 2nd. Speculation is Deep Space Nine will leave January 2023, and then the only place really that you'll be able to find any Star Trek will be Paramount+. Plus. So, Hurry up and binge watch them if you're watching it on Netflix and then hop on over and get yourself a Paramount Plus membership, especially right now while it's still cheap because I'm pretty sure that once, you know, especially with all the new Trek shows that are getting ready to come out and now they'll have consolidated their base, I'm sure they'll be like, hey, people really want to watch these shows. Let's increase that six bucks and bring it up to, (laughs) you know, probably 10 
So, yeah. you know, so get it now. Get it now. Gotcha. Gotcha. But, but anyway, after all that, we are here to talk about Necessary Evil. Mm-hmm. So, David, would you like to give our recap? Well, actually, I can, but I want to ask you a quick question first. Yes. You have told us that Odo is your favorite character. And this is he an is... Odo-central episode. So I definitely would like to say, Perry, as a char- as someone who loves Odo the character, do you want to do it? I'm happy to Oh, do I'll it. do it. I'll do go- it. I, mean, I, I, just, I, I feel like it. you probably would give a great summation, so let's have you do it. Okay. So, as David has obviously just told you, yes, Odo is one of my favorite characters, and this episode does give us a lot of Odo, and I, I've watched this episode many times, and uh, I've always had the same couple of questions, so we'll get to get to those too. Perfect. So, yes. Um, just going to give you the quick highlights of the episode so that we can get into it here. So, basically, the episode starts with a Bajoran woman in her home. It's nighttime, candles lit, and Quark is there. She's talking to Quark. They're being all kind of shady, flirty, and clearly they're up to no good. Right. She asks Quark to go back to the station to bring her a strong box because apparently her and her husband several years ago during the occupation had lived on the station and he ran a, a chemistry shop of some kind. So she wants him to go back and get the box. He asks her why she won't go back and do it. She says that after what happened, she can't imagine going back on that station again. So he tells her it might take him a day. He's going to go back and and get it and come back to her. Right. Um, He goes to the station. He takes Rom with him as his lookout. They break into the old chemist shop, which Rom, showing some some skills that we didn't know he had, um, and some brains we didn't know he had, helps (laughs) helps him break in. They find the strong box, and they get back to Quark's. They pry open the strong box. It's a list of names. Quark wants to get a picture of the list of names before he seals the box up and sends it on to the woman. He sends Rom to go get him a camera so he can take a picture. But in that meantime, while Rom's looking for a camera and so forth, a mysterious Bajoran man emerges from the shadows and he takes the list and shoots Quark. Yes. The, um, we now Rom returns. He's screaming about how Quark has been killed. So then we see Cisco and Odo and a bunch of lab techs and Bashir all, you know, in mild panic in the in Quark's bar because Quark is he's been shot, but he's not dead. And they're doing what they can to try to save his life. Right. They whisk Quark out of the bar and Cisco and Odo start to uh, play good cop, bad cop with Rom. Fantastic. And scene. <laughs> Fantastic scene, very funny. You know, uh, Odo accuses him of not being the idiot everybody thought he was. And he's like, I am too. Yes. Which is this great, great little moment there. And uh, he realizes that he, he finally spills the beans that uh, they had found this this information. Right. Uh, he can't remember what all of it is, but at least that begins to point them in the direction of this was not just a random mugging or robbery or whatever, that this was a targeted hit. Right. Um, so then, after that, uh, we start to see, um, what is it, Odo is having flashbacks? Basically, and, yeah. Yeah, and he's he's having flashbacks of the chemist shop and the people that were involved there, and, and we see that this is kind of the first time, through the, fa- through the flashback, this is the first time that he met Gold Ducat. Yes. And Gold Ducat is basically like, I'm putting you in charge of investigating the chemist, the owner of the shop his murder. So now we figure out what it is that the woman was talking about as to why she wouldn't come back to the station. Her husband, who was the chemist, 
had been murdered right. and Odo had been put in charge of the murder. Now, Ducat says something here that I, that is relevant. He says that the, basically the, um, Cardassian powers that be want him to solve this murder. And by solve it, they mean round up a bunch of people and execute them as a sign to the Bajorans that we are not going to put up with your rebellious acts or murdering each other. Right. But he's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to murder 10 randoms. I would rather you tell me um, who it is. Right. And it's, and we see that this is also significant because it's Ducat who notices something about Odo that would make him an ideal investigator. Yes. Odo is an outsider. Odo has this kind of innate attention to detail, and he doesn't seem to really be afraid of anyone else. And um, and both sides seem to come to him. The Bajorans come to him to settle petty disputes and whatever else. Right. And um, in the Cardassians, clearly, just they're not threatened by him. They don't care. Right. So... You know, he's got his own view of justice, which seems to work for all around. So, being put in charge of the investigation, Oda goes uh, to visit with the um, widow. The mm -hmm. widow um, gives her gives him her little spiel, which Oda isn't totally buying. Points him in the direction of the next person that we're that we realize he meets for the first time, Kira. Right. Kira, who is at this time, at least she appears to be another Bajoran worker be very clear okay. the widow says i did not kill my husband i believe my husband was having he if confessed to an affair with a woman and i believe that woman when she was told that the affair was going to end killed him. that's what she claims but she's very right. fishy about it right so the next part that we see is now back in i guess present tense odo is talking you know he's doing a very noir-esque narration of the episode and he is in his office he is trying to question rom another great funny little scene between the two of them and he finally gets a partial name from rom uh chesso right uh, he's not sure if that's the name but that's what he thinks it is from his own recollections right odo tells this information to uh kira who when she's asking about um you know what he's found out so far and he's trying to piece together what's going on um odo goes back to the chemist's wife's home Right. And he questions her. He also questions her about like her own business dealings. Like he points out the fact that, you know, it appears that at one point she didn't have any money. And now all of a sudden she has money. Like right. her, she had um, her power was turned off and now suddenly she had the funds to pay. And she intimates that she got that from a married friend that she doesn't want to drag their name through whatever it is. Kind of intimating that there may be some kind of a fair thing going on between her and said right. unnamed married man. Exactly. Okay. So he kind of leaves it at that, but he's basically letting her know that, you know, he's he's looking into her. Um, we go back to the station. Bashir is unsure if Quark is going to live or not. Kira stops by and she tells Odo that she has tracked down one of the names. Uh, the name is not Chesso, it's Chisaro. And that this now leads him uh, in the new direction because we find out that now that she's narrowed down Chisaro, Chisaro also happens to be dead, so they can't question him. So, and he was also killed the night that Yes, like yeah. the night that the that the um, place was broken into, and that Quark was shot. Well, no, no, no. That's no. when. No, it was it was when the woman found out the same night that the Odo visited right. the widow. The man ends up dead right afterward. Yes. Anyway, keep going. Keep going. Yes. So, um, Odo then, you know, basically hijacks the woman's, you know, last 
couple of days. He gets all the information on her banking information, phone calls, all of it. And he is able to, through her her contacting and messaging whomever, he's able to put the list together as right. to who all the people is. He meets Cisco and Dax in um, Quarks. And he informs them that he's put together this list and that he realizes that the list is a bunch of Bajoran collaborators, people who during the occupation, people who during the occupation had sided with the Cardassians and were helping them out, passing information about, you know, I guess Bajoran 'er ne'er-do-wells or whatever. Um, And so basically that's when he realizes that this is a, basically, yeah, it's a, List of people that she is blackmailing or somebody is blackmailing right. in order to get money, and which this is where, where the Vatric woman, who is our the widow, uh-huh. her records come into play because suddenly again she has money, and all these names had just recently transferred um, funds into her account. Right. Um, Odo goes and rounds her up, or no, before he rounds her up, he goes. Um, we're back in the the infirmary, and. Uh, Rom interrupts our mysterious Bajoran man who has now murdered a security officer and right. is attempting to murder Quark. Right. Rom alerts everybody with his terrible screaming. <laughs> Odo comes in, he stops the man who was trying to escape at that time and arrests him. Right. He's then able to use him and he arrests the uh, widow yeah. as well and she's like, I don't care what you think you know, uh, you can't prove that I murdered my husband because I didn't. And Odo's right. like, I know. Right. And so that's where we kind of realize that Odo, again, through the flashbacks that we've watched intermittently here, Odo has pieced it all together that um, the real murderer is was Kira. Yes. Kira all along. Yes. And that he's pretty upset at the end because he's like, you had a whole year that you could have told me that you were the one who did it, and you never told me. And she lets him know that she had attempted to tell him many, many times. Right. But because of their relationship, their friendship, she didn't want him to think less of her, so she didn't tell him. Right. And they kind of leave it up in the air as to whether or not these two, their friendship is going to survive. Yes. And that is essentially the episode. Now, yes, yeah. I know I did not hit every single thing, but that's why we're here to talk about it. We're right. going to get to all those things. <laughs> and if you really want to watch it, because it is actually a phenomenal episode, go watch it. Go watch it right now before you listen to the rest of this broadcast. And I promise you, you will enjoy joy, enjoy what we say much, much more. But right. that is essentially it. Correct? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, I, we'll definitely get into some more details here. But yeah, this I'm going to go ahead and say it now. This was a great episode. This was a really good one. Um uh, the oh, yeah. I, the um the idea that we would have a I mean film noir I think this show lends itself to film noir pretty regularly film noir is known to be a great just medium for storytelling and this episode starts off with it it starts off with Odo giving his um log entry which is the first time we've ever seen him do a log entry and it's actually mm-hmm. a fantastic log entry because not only does it set up like the film noir setting but he's going on all about I have to start recording these because Cisco wants us to because humans just love recording things. And if they could record everything they could, it would just destroy their civilization because they would have so much to record. So here's what I have to say. I have everything under control. 
log done. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's great. He, yeah. It's like he's again he's obeying the the order, but he's right. still thumbing his nose at it at the same time. Exactly. It was a, it's a great moment as well for especially for a for an opener to yes. be so blunt and delivered as only Odo can, of course, which again right. makes him. I think that's another reason why it makes him my kind of standout favorite because I think that he kind of. He's the Star Trek personification of like what I feel like I would be, you know, right. just just very straight to the point. He's very blunt, and you you know where you stand with a man like Odo, like yes. right away. So I love that, love that a lot. Well, yeah, and actually, that's a really good point that you bring up is that Odo actually does it does make sense that well the the Cardassians that Gold Dukat would turn to Odo to help solve this murder because he is. It turns out that what it comes down to is that. I don't, I don't think you really got into the details, so let's go to the details here. Kira right. was um, was the one who was most likely guilty of the murder. So it mm-hmm. turns out that she had bribed Quark to give her an alibi in the past, you know, when she was on the station for the first time. And Quark, his, his uh, alibi is that she was um, auditioning, quote unquote, to be a Dabo girl. Uh, mm-hmm. But then when Odo starts going, hey, I, I don't believe your story and starts putting pressure on Odo, he Odo quickly turns Kira over and says, she paid me. Um, so when Odo pulls Kira aside, she lies, but she lies by telling a truth. She tells the truth that there was a break-in on level 21 in ore processing. And, and that's what... Sabotage. Exactly. Sabotage. She says that she was the one who um, did that. But at the end of the episode, she reveals that no, that was someone else who did that, who she was mm-hmm. allied with. But at the same time, she was the one who was sent to go find that list. And when the man, the chemist, found her looking for the list, she killed him. But Odo, right. at the time, when she first was being questioned, he said, not you're not a very that. good liar. He said, "Right." She's, she says to him, you have to pick a side. And she's intimating that she has something guilty to say. And so Odo believes her and... Um, the reason this is important is because it turns out that uh, Gold Ducat, because he was using these eight uh, basically traitors to you know round up Bajorans, he was kind of in a bad spot to investigate this whole thing. Um, he couldn't just kill ten random people, uh, but he also needed to find the culprit. He actually did need to find the actual culprit. So he couldn't send his own people to go do it because they weren't going to do a good job. He needed someone who was going to do it, and Oda was perfect for that job. And... While he Odo does do a rather good job overall, it turns out that Kira was a good liar, and she did deceive him. And in this first interaction between these two characters, she deceives Odo. And that means that their relationship uh, now, as we see at the end of this episode, is kind of cast in doubt. They have just revealed, or Kira has just revealed, that she has not always been fully honest with Odo. What are they going to do about that now? So... And it also brings up a kind of a, a bit of a plot hole here. Um, at the very beginning, when Ducat introduces us to Odo, or however you want to look at it, he says to Odo that uh, that he is facing scrutiny from basically the Cardassian Central Command. Right. They want him to investigate this, and by investigate, they just want him to round up somebody or a couple of somebodies and execute them. And he's saying right. he would rather not do that. Yes. Well, at the end of the episode, he never turned over the killer. Yeah. From what we can tell from the at least from the end of the flashbacks that we see here, right. Ducat never catches the murderer. Right. So 
Did someone else die in Kira's place? Because she yeah. was obviously guilty. It's a good she, point. She was the murderer. So it, it's a, it is a bit of a plot hole because we don't know who paid the price. And from, again, what Gold Ducat is telling us, right. someone definitely did. Because right. if it was just left up to Ducat, it's possible we kind of just, you know, muddied the waters a little bit and he just kind of glossed over it. But... He was. He said he was facing outside pressure, so right. he had to give some names. He had to say in some manner how yes. he handled this, and we never, we never hear how he handled it. I would just push back on that just a tiny bit by saying that we know Odo has never solved this mystery all this all these five years. So it might just be that the case was always left open, but it certainly doesn't answer why Gold Ducat would trust Odo to solve any other murders if he wasn't able to solve this first one. And it's very likely that, yeah, Gold Ducat had to find some sort of scapegoat right. and just knock someone off to get make the higher-ups happy. Yeah. So again, yeah. So, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, the the hole is who did... who Who was ultimately killed for the chemist's murder right we and, I, and we should really point this out because when odo is questioning kira for the second time because the first time he approaches her on like the main deck but by the way i i, I sidetrack the set being recast as the cardassian mining facility was fabulous oh yeah it looked the, totally different totally different, different lighting grates all over the place it looks like a terrible place you know we've gotten used to this bright lighting and it looks like a place to live and it's got a promenade no back in the day when the cardassians were in charge it was not a pleasant place but anyway going oh, back Sorry, and one of ahead. the greatest one of the greatest you know compare contrast scenes for that too was you know early on in the episode again like you said it was all brightly lit and there's people around and you see the little kids running around the yeah. station laughing and playing and They're then when it flash yeah. when they do the flashback you see this you know, this it's dark, it's smoky, there's these gates up, yes. and there are these two very sad, uh, dirty, depressed-looking children right. on the other side of the gate just looking absolutely miserable, Hi, waiting Daddy. for their father yeah. to come yeah. home yeah. or come through the gate. You know, yeah. such a great contrast of the freedom that they are enjoying currently with the yes. uh, Federation there to help them out versus the oppressive regime of the Cardassians. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah great, great contrast. Uh, comparison there right anyway i need to back up because the reason i was pointing that out is because kira the first time odo meets her he um sits down while she's eating and she thinks that he's propositioning her and he's like that's not what i'm doing but she immediately catches on that he is a constable she calls him constable uh that Which... he is somehow an enforcer of some kind or detective yeah go ahead sorry mm -hmm. well no that's just a um that's also a little bit of a uh, Star Trek goof there because the first time that Odo was called Constable was supposed to be by Cisco, and he was acting like he had never heard the phrase before. But in this flashback, Kira calls him Cis calls him Constable, right. which obviously predates them meeting Cisco by several years. Right, so Odo had heard the term before, and right. he should not have had the reaction to Cisco that he did, considering that Kira had called him this at least <laughs> once already. But maybe, maybe we can pretend that pay. it's because the language differences that we just never got that. I don't know. Is, is Star Trek just going to just, you know, move past the whole language barrier? Thing? Yeah. <laughs> or it could, yeah, it could just be, you could also just say that, you know, the, this is the second time anybody's called him that. And it was by something. The first time was by was somebody so that he ago. is 
Right. Well, and it was also by somebody that he's come to work with very well. And right. she was probably the only one who called him that. And then for this outside alien to call him the same thing, right. that could also explain his kind of knee-jerk reaction the first gotcha. time. And he doesn't like he it, for sure. He lets he Kira not, do it, but not anyone else. Yeah, Yeah. well, he likes Kira. He doesn't know Cisco. So Cisco, <laughs> Cisco calling, you know, we are, we are like that. You, have, you, have a, you might have a nickname or something that certain right. people can call you yeah. and you wouldn't want anyone else. Yeah. So, yeah, Cisco's yeah, like, was, Kira calls you constable and he's like, I forget what Otis says, but I was like, she's you know the only one. That's actually, that's a good point because he does say that. He does say that I heard Major Kira call you constable. Right. And that's, so yeah, that actually explains that whole scenario. That go. works. Okay. okay. Well, anyway, going back to what I was trying to say, I got <laughs> we got so sidetracked, which is fine. But anyway, my point was, is that uh, the second time that Odo is questioning Kira, which is in his, basically his office, I guess that I'm going to assume that that's the room that eventually comes to his office. Um, yeah. Gold Ducat walks in when he thinks that Kira has been found and pressured because she's revealed the whole, you know, level 21 bit. And he says, is this her? And Odo says, no, she is not the one who did this. I am confident she's not the one who did this. Mm -hmm. So we, the audience and Odo were deceived by Kira's performance that we knew she was part of the underground. It's very, it's very reasonable that she was the one who did some sort of, um, you know, breakdown murder. of, of well not murder but like that she was the one who sabotaged the level 21 ore processor right. but she we have never a very convincing story on that yes but we have never once considered her a murderer so the fact that now i'm we we can imagine that when the the chemist guy found her she killed him in self-defense but this is certainly a new part to her we've never seen before we've never seen her really kill before and so the idea that she killed even back then well, I mean, go ahead well, I was going to say, it doesn't even have to necessarily be that she killed him in self-defense. She admits later on that her mission was to go and find the list of collaborators. Right. And as she was looking for it, uh, the chemist, Vatrick, he interrupted her. Right. So she, he could have caught her by surprise and her recognizing the fact that, one, he himself was a collaborator. Yeah. Two, he most likely knew where the list was and she needed to get that information from him. And three, she certainly couldn't have him revealing who she was and what she was really up to on right. the station. Yeah. So she murdered him. It wasn't. It doesn't necessarily have to be that, you know, maybe he tried to, like, stop her or anything like that. He was a direct threat to her continuing her mission. Plus, right. he was a collaborator himself. As right. they point out, like, and one of the things that tipped her off that he was a collaborator was the fact that he had this ginger tea, which apparently was yes. an import and quite expensive, yep. which how did he have the money and the ability to do that? Because, again, all Bajorans right. were under the subjugation of the Cardassians. Yes. So if you were doing well during this occupation, you clearly were working for the enemy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and we should go ahead and mention, too, that um, the woman, the widow, she says that one reason she likes Quark is because he would also get her the ginger tea, um, which is a great opening scene. This this episode opens so perfectly. It's a dark and stormy night, and there's a beautiful, oh, yeah. gorgeous woman who has a oh, secret yeah. history. And the first line she says is, I didn't kill him, you know. Great opening for a film noir sort of setting. Oh, yeah. And there's Quark sitting there, and he's just as evil and devious as we've ever seen him. He yes. is totally in his element, and they're like flirting back and forth. And yeah, very, very early, you know, black and white noir esque Lana Turner, 
yes. film film scenario here. Uh, oh, yeah. They did a great job. And I mean, she just looks, she's all dressed in all white, too. Yes. You know, she's just oh, completely yeah. done up and silhouetted and the feathery lighting around her face yeah. to make her just look like she is just, just this very sensual but put upon woman and here's yes. our, our resident troll lurking in the darkness in the shadows exactly. here yeah. agreeing to do this very shady thing. Exactly. Like we don't even have to know what else is going on, but just seeing Quark and his kind of skeezy way he's moving through the, right. the scene lets you know that whatever it is they're discussing, not not on the up and up. Yeah. Not a butt board. Oh, I all. just there's just a personal thing on the station that I need back. And Cork is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell it to someone else. I know exactly right. what's going on here. Right. <laughs> uh, Which yeah. also kind of clues you in that she is, again, she is not the, the damsel in distress that they, no. they're they trying to make her appear to be yeah. with, again, all done up in the white garb and all the rest of it. You know, again, it's like Cork is, he's kind of your dead giveaway that whatever is going on here is shady. If he's right. interested, and especially if he looks like he's enjoying himself at all, right. Can't be a good thing. Whatever right. it is, can't be a good thing. Yeah. And that definitely turns out to be true here. Yeah. Well, it's really great too, about this episode is because at the very end, right before Kira reveals that she was the one who actually did it, or in fact that Odo knows that it wasn't the widow who did it. Cause that's certainly been the implication the entire episode is when she's being thrown into the cell by Odo and she says, you can't, I don't know what you think you know. You can't prove I did it because I didn't. We think, gosh, she's just lying. She's just this terrible person. We know we can't trust her. But then Odo says, I know. I know. And we know that there's something we kind of missed out on. We need a little more further explanation. That's when Kira well, reveals the truth. And, it's, and Kira, Kira kind of gives it away in that scene. When Odo says, I know, that snap neck and wide eyes, that she, the way she looks at him, yeah. it's like, holy crap. Like It's almost like she, if you watch the two of them in that moment, right. it's like, it's, it's almost like a lightning rod. Kira yeah. is the guilty one. Like, right. I watched it, and I remember thinking, like, as soon as he said that and the way she reacted to him, I was uh -huh. like, she did it. Yeah. She did it. And I was like, oh, man, she did it. And and trying to, how are they going to explain how she did it and how she lied to him and everything else? And then watching that come out later and the, the mm. sense of betrayal that Odo has. And he looks he looks so sad when they finally have, you know, which is the very next scene, yes. and they have their conversation. And she's like, I really did want to tell you. I tried to tell you hundreds of times. Right. You know, and just just watching them. And it was just for a brief moment, I have to admit, in watching it, uh, watching Odo's face in the scene, I was like, "Does he have a crush on her?" Because like the way he, <laughs> the way he looked so depressed, yeah. When she when she revealed that, like again, one that he knew that she had done it, and two that she had never told him, and it was almost like he had been waiting for her to do so, you right. know. And and the fact that she didn't, and how betrayed he felt, and even her her reaction too, she was like. What you think of me means a lot, and it's like, okay, well, does she, does she have a thing for him? Like, what's the deal here? They're these. We know that they've been working together for years. Mm. You know that since since the Cardassians left, anyway, these two have kind of been like the powerhouses of the station right. until Starfleet showed up. So they they have been working together. They've had a pretty close relationship. They obviously depend on each other right. for a lot. Um, yeah, and the mutual sense of disappointment and the the loss or the damage to some of their friendship here it just made me think there's something else yeah here 
Uh, um, I mean, you know the rest of the story, so I, I'll, I guess we'll find out. Um, but I do want to say that that moment definitely left me the same. It left me the same impression as the episode Progress did from season one. And everyone will remember Progress is the episode where Kira has to convince the old Bajoran farmer to leave one of the Bajoran moons. And that episode also ends on kind of this cliffhanger in the sense that, you know, at the end of that episode, again, it's a spoiler if you haven't seen that episode now or if you haven't listened to that episode. So I'm going to assume that you have seen it. But at the, she Kira is trying to convince this old guy to leave. So she burns down his house and, like, is, like, beam us up to the station mm-hmm. and we don't see them get beamed up. And um, so we're left with a real sad cliffhanger moment, which yep. doesn't really affect the rest of the series. And that's scenario, but this scenario can, cause these are yeah. two of our main characters. So now what will happen next? Um, don't tell me, obviously we'll find out probably by the next good, episode, eh? but yeah. Um, yeah, this was a, this was a really good episode. It was, it was you got to I go back in time. Done. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so, it was it was film noir in forty minutes. Like this is yes. a episode of any sort of film noir story. You got a detective who's a hard biting detective. You got a beautiful yes. woman who seems to be uh, two beautiful women. We got we got both Kira and the widow. One of them who clearly is the the one that we don't trust because there's something wrong with her. She's just. There's too much going on with how she doesn't cry for her husband's mm-hmm. death. And she's she always, even in the past, when she was supposed to be a, one of the Bajoran put-upon people, she's still dressed beautifully, even amongst yeah. the less. Um, she's not in rags, but she's certainly not dressed in the fineries that she is at the beginning of the episode and the end of the episode. Um, and then Kira, she's also a beautiful woman. We see her in the past, and she has long hair. She's supposedly the one that had the affair with the man who's mm-hmm. been killed. So, like... Classic film noir yeah. storytelling. Our, this is perfect. Our, vic- our victim, who is just as guilty as everybody else, yes. but you kind of have to be on their side because, again, they're the victim. Both right. with the chemist who was murdered yes. and Quark and his attempted murder, which right. sparks all of this stuff. So, exactly. again, you there there's there's so much here. And I, and I believe it is worth saying the fact that, one, this episode continuously gets high marks yes. even after all this time it still gets high marks it's regarded as one of the better episodes of uh, early deep space nine right. and it also was filmed by the same person who filmed another really great episode of deep space nine uh-huh. duet duet yes. which is again another very famous episode one of yes. the ones that people continuously reference as one of their one of their favorite episodes, the episode right. that kind of really bought them or sold them on Deep Space Nine, yeah. Duet, and now, of course, this one, Necessary Evil. And they do a couple of things that are very similar, and that is the deconstruction of the the ambiance, right? Like right. breaking it down and making it to where each scene, the people that are involved in the scene, it's very focused on them. It's right. very central that you're seeing their interactions here. Right. I mean, Duet was was great, and this is yet another example of how yeah. that kind of storytelling really works for a show like Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Yeah, Duet is a great example because both of them are mystery episodes where we have who is 
responsible in that in duet it's is this man we have in front of us the same person we think he is he the the mass murderer of you know, like a genocide of the Jorans, yes. or in this one um who's the murderer so yeah both of them have lots of twists and turns and keep you on your edge and you want to find out next and you think you have everything figured out and then they've thrown another twist right there at the end um and that would also do it also ended on a cliffhanger because that in duet, the man, the, the Cardassian man was killed and he turns out to actually be a good guy. Um, and yes. he was just assassinated right there at the end of the episode. So yeah, man, let's I, I think if, well, if deep space nine keeps giving us these types of stories, that will be great. I just wonder if they're going to just run out of stories to tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and that's the, that's one of the greater things about this show too, is they give you so many different levels of complexity and you, and you always feel like, on some level that you haven't figured out. But then the more you think about it, you realize that it's not quite what you thought. It's not the black and white thing that you thought it was. Like, I think the early allegory, you know, that you can draw from the Cardassians is there's there's obviously some kind of parallel between them and, like, right. the, the Nazi regime, right? If you're trying to make real-world connections here, you know. But the more you the more you watch it and the more you see how this occupation really went down... That it's it's way more complex than that. At least from yeah. what we're, from I guess what you would consider your more standard, more one-dimensional view of uh, the Nazi totalitarian viewpoint that we've seen in TV and movies uh-huh. before. Now I'm not trying to act like in any way that I'm an expert on any of this. I'm just saying like based upon what we had seen, what we have seen in film and television before it was always easy to identify that as the bad guy right whereas here they are definitely trying to muddy the waters a bit yes. as to who's doing what and why right right and then there and yeah there that's definitely the reasons why are right. are always going to come up and in particular in this episode i really love the whole play on the the collaborators we know there's this list of people who have been collaborating with the the enemy here, which right. we are supposed to always think of as the Cardassians. Right. And um, but they're the occupying military force. If you, as we, you know, if you think back to like the episode that we did involving um, the child Rugal, who was you know lost to his right. father, thought he was dead. You know, their whole story. Mm-hmm. you know, is kind of sad. But at the same time, you're like, he's still a bad guy because he was living on Bajor and he was occupying right. Bajor. Yeah. And and again, as I, I remember pointing out then, like, he left Bajor thinking that his whole family had been murdered. Right. And we don't really know what his job was. He, we know he's a part of the civilian government, but right. we don't know what his job was when he was on Bajor. Yeah. You know, so we don't know. He could have just been some kind of, you know, middle manager. You know, he has nothing to do with the military or whatever. Not really. Right. And yet his whole family is murdered by the Bajoran to view all Cardassians as invaders. You know, it right. doesn't matter what their job is. To them, they are the invaders here. You right. know, so... Again, we kind of see the same thing here with these collaborators because it's like we know that the occupation had been going on for at least 50 years. Right. And so you could have these people who, you know, they're just like, look, they don't, they don't know when it's going to end. They don't know what's going to suddenly drive the Cardassians from their planet. Right. They've been living with this now for a, at least a, a generation, maybe even two. Right. You know, and they're just trying to figure out ways like if this is going to be their new life, their new normal. We've got to figure out a way to move through this and be yeah. and be well off. And it worked for them. Mm-hmm. Now, 
does that bring up resentment in their in their own people? Sure, especially considering we know about the mining camps and the deaths and the tortures and the brutalizations and everything else. But imagine for a second that that is your life. There is no there's no coming out of it. There's no federation in the horizon that's going to swoop in and help you. There's no sudden regime change that's going to drive all of them out. Like right. none of that. You're just trying to survive. Right. And then all of a sudden it ends. Right. This way that you've been living for however long. Right. Ends. And now all of a sudden you're surrounded by your these people who all would once if they find out what you had been doing to survive, if they find out, they'd most likely kill you. Right. Yeah. So and, and it also make you make you an enemy. Suddenly you could end up in jail or again, yeah. dead. Yeah. So that was why the, the list is so important and how the the widow is able to blackmail these people, because yeah. she was basically going to be like, hey, I'm broke now, but all of you still have money. Right. If you don't give me some of your money, I'm going to tell everybody what you did back yeah. then. Yeah. And that's exactly. that's why they paid her. They were desperate to keep that silent. Yeah. And, you know, some of them, obviously, like Chisaro, either he didn't pay, which I, I that's how I've always thought of it. Like, Chisaro must not have paid. Right. And that's why he was murdered. Right. Um, But, yeah, I mean, so that was, now they have proof, you know, right there. Hey, look, he didn't pay her. Now he's dead. So now you're all going to pay or yeah. you're going to end up like him. You know? Yeah, the, the one unanswered question this episode is who is the mysterious man that the widow sends to do all her dirty work? Because at the end yeah. of the opening scene, he comes from out behind like a curtain and her smile drops. So when I thought the episode was starting, I thought she was the one being forced to have that happen. But no, it turns out, at least by the end of the episode, I'm presuming, she hired him to be her yes. enforcer. He's kind of, yeah, he is her. And, and, you know, he really doesn't talk much. We only really hear his voice once and or twice actually and that's when one when he shoots quirk and then later on in the infirmary when he you know Fights. kills the guard yeah. to try to kill to finish the job of killing quirk that's right. it but like he never he never says anything so you just kind of think that he's definitely her hired henchman and he's doing what right. he has to do to protect her presumably because she's paying him yeah like he's got he's getting a payout out of doing this stuff too so right. but yeah i mean it's just I, the more I thought about it, I was like, I really like that idea of these collaborators kind of, you know, getting their, um, getting their, you know, just desserts for turning on the Bajoran people. Right. But at the same, the more I thought about it too, I was just like, well, I mean, what, what would you do? Like when you don't know that there's like the only alternative to life as you know, it is working in mines or prison camps or yeah. uh, some other kind of brutal suffering. But if there's suddenly a way that you can, Protect yourself, protect your family, right. and live at least semi decently. Right. You know, would you do it or would you suffer? Would you right. struggle? You know. So, um, and then yeah, they had to deal with those repercussions when the when the Cardassians leave. So, a, a lot of great complexities here that we um, we don't see resolutions to at the end of the episode. Right. Um, but our great world building for the overall politics of Bajor, of Cardassia, and of the evolving relationships we see of main characters, Kira, Odo, Gold Dukat, you know, the, their fingerprints on things throughout the rest of the, uh, uh, the seasons. Right. This is a great setup for all of it. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. 
Um, one thing, um, are we going to see Odo do the Cardassian neck trick thing that kept being mentioned? Because that sounded like a fun little trick. <laughs> yes, and the answer to that is no. So ah. I've always liked to imagine that the Cardassian neck trick is basically him making his neck more Look like Cardassian. Ready to turn. Yeah, yeah, like the Cardassian, the, the corrugated ridges and whatever else they've got there, right. him doing that. Maybe to some kind of exaggerated extreme, right. also kind of making it move or whatever, whatever little little you know the the equivalent of someone doing magic tricks to get right. attention at a table, you know. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. He, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, it it, it always it seems to me like when they mention it that Odo's kind of embarrassed by the fact that he ever did that. Yes. And he's definitely trying to move away from any kind of association with that and he gets really really upset when you bring it up like when right. Ducat brings it up he um you know he kind of recoils a little bit and when uh when Quark brings it up he becomes very hostile you know which kind of shows the power dynamic the differences between obviously Odo or uh, Quark and um Gold Ducat but right. still showing overall that Odo doesn't like it regardless right. right but no we never see it we never see him do it Gotcha. I mean, I, that's what I figured, but the way that they were saying it, neck trick, like it sounded like that was something that the Kardashians already could do, but it was like, it's like a, I don't know, like someone who's really bendable, you know, like a yeah. person who can touch their toes with like their hands behind their head or something. I don't yeah. know. One of those really flexible people. That's like what it was. But um, they were, uh, Odo, when Dol Gold Ducat approaches him and says, we met a couple of years ago, previous to this moment, he says like two years ago, when you did the Cardassian neck trick, that was when Odo was still being ex um, researched by the Bajoran scientists. He yes. was still kind of like a an experiment. Um, and Odo basically says that I left him, like I, I chose to leave him. And I can't mm. remember which episode we've had that mentioned in. I, I would assume that was the episode Vortex, which was the previous season one Odo-centric episode where um, – Odo was uh, was the guy the, the criminal that he was um, in charge of was insinuating yes. that I've met other changelings, um, not shapeshifters. Had established a had established a colony, right? And he had the magic key that they had given him. Yes, right. I believe it was um, that episode where Odo said about about his history, but I'm I'm probably wrong because I don't think that'd be the episode necessarily where he would say it. I'm just remembering that as an episode where a lot of Odo's backstory was revealed. So. Or at least um, his his changeling people were yes. revealed. So we've yeah, heard greater... before that he was a experiment. He was something yes. that a Bajoran scientist was teaching to do things um, right. and become more humanoid. But this is the first time that we really heard that he intentionally left that guy. Yeah. So, so I mean, so it's it's kind of one of those things that like um, I, mild spoiler that we do find out more about Odo's interaction early interactions with Bajorans later on um you know but from what we've been able to tell so far in particular from Vortex to now is that basically at some point Odo was found and they didn't really quite know what to make of him so he was sent to a Bajoran research facility which I always thought was an interesting choice because the Cardassians were the ones who were in charge right so why would they send this unknown thing to the Bajorans. Right. So, you know, and then he kind of was there for an untold number of years until again, he finally decides to, to leave. Right. Um, which in, also is another oddity. I feel because it's like once it was, once he was obviously able to, to leave on his own power, 
again, the Cardassians didn't really seem to mind. No one, no one attempted to stop him in any way. He was, he was clearly at one point on the Bajoran planet, and then he made it to the station. Right. And he's at a point where, I mean, like he's he's interacting with people, and he can kind of move around and do whatever. And you know, like Ducat says that yeah, he's kind of kept his eye on him or whatever. Right. But again, it doesn't seem like Odo was ever really restricted in any way. Right. Like. You know, the, the Bajorans were obviously curious about him and willing to kind of work with him in some way. But the Cardassians, beyond uh, a trivial curiosity for his shape-shifting ability to entertain them, right. they don't really seem like they ever really cared yeah. about him at all. Right. Right. Which I just find very odd when you find that there's this, he's apparently, from what you can see so far, right. he is a one-of-a-kind alien. Right. There is none others like him, and he can literally change himself to be anything. And that's literally what Gold Ducat says to him. He says, you'd be a great detective, a great... Right. Because you could go to places and, and, and look into things that the rest of us can't. You could shapeshift and right. hide in a room. And he doesn't, so they, he doesn't make any overt appeal to like draw him over to the Cardassian side. He's at just all. like, you're, you're, you're going to exactly. be good at this job. Let's have you go ahead and do this. And he's yeah. mentioned that, I mean, he's obviously been known to the Cardassians for years. And I mean, it's, for all of their military, their mindset that we see of them, no one thought to recruit this being into being some kind of spy or agent of some kind right? at all. You just kind of let him wander around and he's he's working with the Bajorans, people that you are obviously treating quite badly, you know, and you don't have any problem with him associating with them right. at all. Right, like it just it the way that that always came across to me, I just thought it was odd. It's like you know about him, you're keeping tabs on him, you know what he can do. He's clearly not afraid of you, and right. you're just gonna let him run roughshod over your occupying installation. Right. Okay. Yeah. Bad choice. Yeah. You know, bad like, choice. Well, it's also <laughs> great because you know when Court Kira questions him he's like you have to choose a side and he's like i'm not going to choose a side i'm for justice and it's like if you're a cardassian and you're abusing a whole race of people it's like you don't want this guy going around for justice you might want to have right. him kind of thrown out an airlock maybe <laughs> which also brings up another question that i had or you know it's a to me it's a hole in the in this the persona of odo in that he is always saying how he is dedicated to justice and yet he lies he lies multiple times, either right. by directly, uh, uh, you know, b directly promoting a lie or by lie of omission. When when Ducat comes into his office and he's like, you know, and, and Kira is there and he's already uncovered the fact that Kira at least is a terrorist, a saboteur. Right. He does not turn her over to Ducat. Right. He should have because the law at that time would have been. That she be turned over because, like, let's just well, take out murder. Let's just say that Ducat had come to him and said, "Well, let's just say, hold on, okay. just, let's, <laughs> okay. let's just say fair enough, fair enough, fair that Ducat had come to him and said, hey, we've we, we've become aware of this sabotage that happened late last night. Right. We want to put you in charge of investigating it. Find out who did it. Because same scenario, the powers that be are tired of all the sabotage going on. And right. they want me to round up a bunch of people and execute them as an example of this kind of activity is not going to be tolerated. Right. Find it and, you know, whatever. So, I mean, the same thing could have been applied here. And he does not turn her over, even though she has acknowledged that she has committed acts of sabotage. Sabotage well, yeah. is against the powers that are 
well, the powers that be, the people that are in charge. There's two things to that. First off, there's the fact that Oda was only tasked in solving the murder. So that's certainly the way he gets around saying anything about her in this instance. But I think what we're seeing is that the character of Odo, while he claims he is on the side of justice, he really is. And in this case, I mean, I, I fully under, I fully believe that the character of Odo sees all the injustice that's happening to the to the Bajorans by the Cardassians. And so he's not going to say that justice would have really been served by turning her over to the, um, Gold Dukat because of any yeah. sabotage. In fact, I imagine that... Um, he would have refused to even research or not, to, to yeah. investigate that that instance. But a murder, well, that is something yeah. that he has a moral compass for, and yeah. that's why he's he's only investigating the murder. And so when she admits that she might have actually been involved in the the sabotage, that's not what he's here to investigate. So as far as he's concerned, she's good to go. <laughs> and I and I understand that point. I guess I was kind of hung up on the you know letter of the law versus spirit of the law scenario oh, yeah. you know, yeah. and again like. She she did something that, as as we understand it at the time, would have still been a, a capital crime. Like she right. even says, you know, screw the murder. If they find out that I'm a member of the resistance, the underground, right. which is uh, you know illegal, unlawful at right. this time, right. and that I've committed sabotage, an act of terrorism, right. they're going to execute me. They don't care about you. Bajorans murdering Bajorans. They're going to kill me if you do this. And what's great about that is that she trusts Odo to know, and she she makes the right play there. If she had confessed to the murder, she'd be a goner. But she confessed to the right type of criminal activity. Um, for whatever reason, it's she's brilliant in that moment, and she also oh, yeah. is able to deceive Odo. And I, I, I gotta just say it: this was a great introduction to the idea of Odo as investigator, as as lawman. He actually, it does make sense. Oh, here's a being who isn't a humanoid, but understands humanoids because he lived amongst them and actually has been trying to emulate them. So he's he is an outsider, but he's not, and so he can understand the Bajorans and he can understand the Cardassians. And he he as a just as a personality is a, has a strong sense of justice, and he notices things about people like he can sense that the widow was not truly crying because her mm. ear, her tear ducts weren't properly welling up like they should and they man yeah, was her, just her, and her eyes weren't puffy he was like exactly. we just told you that your husband was murdered two hours ago and yet you haven't cried you haven't shed a tear yeah your so eyes aren't puffy he's perfect as an investigator of human behavior or, or bajoran behavior or at least humanoid behavior and yeah, it's it's just it was a great introduction to the idea. Like, why? It's like all this time we haven't really had a good answer to why would he have Odo. been the lawman yeah. for all this time? But no, he even when the Cardassians were here, they recognized his abilities and, uh, and he, his yeah. attention to detail is, is second to none. I mean, even right. even when Kira tries to lie to him the first time that he comes up to her, and she's like, you know, he's like, I was. She's like, I used to work in the I don't mines like, or whatever, and right, he was like, this you haven't spent working. a day in your mind in your the hands mines. Don't your like hands, yeah. right? And she admits, oh, I actually worked somewhere else, and yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so yeah. He calls her out on it pretty quick, and then the same thing, you know, with and I and as much as uh, as fun as that scene was. I think that it was just his overall dislike of Quark. I love the fact that when Quark was trying to insinuate that Kira had shown up and was basically he they had they had, you know done something she had earned in the back room. his right, yeah. right. She had she had earned his his uh yeah, his appreciation. She rubbed in the, those in the lobes just right. the right way. 
<laughs> and 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 I mean, we've we've already seen him break other people's uh, stories, their lies, right in front of him. But for yeah. Quark, it was just like, I, that's it. I've had it. And he reaches across the bar and grabs and him and starts him. just pulls him up. Yeah. And he's like, "You're lying." And I was yeah. like, "Oh, that was great." Great scene. That's another great moment too, though, because when Quark uh, starts saying, like, um, Odo says, "Who's the proprietor?" and he first says, "Does he owe you any money?" No. Are you here to arrest him? So Quark consents that he's a lawman. No. And then, then you found him. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect Quark moment. He's never changed once in all this time. Odo hasn't yeah. either, and their relationship. While Kira and Odo might have started off on a on a lie, Odo and Quark have known who each other were from the yeah. moment they saw each other. <laughs> Absolutely. And and Quark has always been, you know, always the ever the schemer trying to find a way to ingratiate himself. He's like, uh, yeah, how about a drink? Uh, I don't drink. Okay. Yeah. A soft drink then. And then even when Ducat comes in, he's like, how about what, what do you need? What do you yeah. want? What do you like? You know, well, you, you have to go chocolate? back real quick. Do you want to? Yeah. Like, yeah, do you just, drink? So... I don't drink. Odo doesn't drink anything. He doesn't drink liquids. <laughs> it's great. It it's actually just... brings up like, how does Odo regenerate? Like, what does he use to like, you know, imbibe nourishment and energy. But I, don't oh, yeah, care so to have that answered right this moment. So. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of speculation as to where Odo gets his energy, you know. Um, but yeah, we'll get into that because there's other episodes that talk about Odo and when he needs to rest and so forth. But uh, we'll get there. We'll get gotcha. there. Um, so I always like to ask, standout performance for the episode. Who do you feel gave it? Rom. This was Rom's <laughs> episode. Everyone else was fantastic, don't get me wrong, but Rom took the cake. He was hilarious in this episode. He was he it t- turns out he's been like Cork will lock him in the in the restaurant or in the bar at night, and so he's had to figure out ways to get himself out. And there have been times when Cork uh, yeah. has abandoned the bar, and so he's had to figure out ways to get to the cash into the vault. So that and that was actually a direct callback to the episode we watched uh, that we talked about the week before, Rules of Acquisition, because he says when you were when you were away on business, he's talking about when you went to the Gamma Quadrant. Uh-huh. I had to get into the the floor vault to protect the profits from the bar that night right. and he's showing how he was able to do it right. and again he's, he he demonstrates a skill that we not Several only did we not know that he right and he demonstrates a skill that we not only didn't know he had but that he's very very good at it yes. so he could he can pick locks yes. and he can break into safes and he can leave no trace yeah well he does know? a great job too because um cork is like i said take me 25 seconds to get through this lock and Rom is like, I can do it in 10. And then I was like, what? And he does it in 10. And then they go to the panel and um, Cork wants to, you know, I, to somehow. He wants to pry the pry the panel off. Well, and no, he, he wants, wants to. to use... No, he wants to cut through the bolts. Yeah, exactly. He's like, don't right. cut them. We can just put these drops on there. Right. It'll fall right off. Exactly. And, 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 and Cork... Cork is so angry. He is so upset. He's like, you've been stealing from me. I'm going to change all of my locks. I would, oh. I would like to think that he was less angry and more just like scared because yeah. all, cause, like here's right. this idiot brother that he's completely <laughs> overlooked and His underestimated. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's like, and he's like, do you want me to grab it? Don't touch anything. Yeah. Don't touch anything ever again. Yes. <laughs> I was just like, yes. yes. So good. Got it. Yeah. Understood. And then um, of course the other part of Rom being great in this episode is, you know, Odo is like, um, well, first off when they're in the, you know, Cork has been shot and Rom is losing his mind. Um, he won't reveal that 
they were um, there at the bar looking at the list. Uh, he mm-hmm. first tries to hold that. And Cisco and Odo as good cop and bad cop was fantastic. You know, Odo's driving hard at him. He's like, you'd be the one who would regain ownership of yes. the bar, wouldn't you? You have a motive for murder. Rule of, rule of he, acquisition number 139. Yeah. yeah wife uh, serve and brothers Brothers inherit. inherit. <laughs> yes. And, um, and he says, yeah, you're smart. And you're, you're, what does he say? Like, you're not you... as you're not as stupid as you look. He's like, right. oh, I am too. Yes, I am too. Yeah. And Cisco goes to Odo and he says, Odo, he's that's his brother. Like he's offended on Rom's behalf. And then he goes to Rom and he's like, didn't something happen? And I, I forget exactly the interaction, but Cisco plays good cop to perfection. Odo is just bad cop, and so they break him and reveal that he reveals that there was a list, which gets our episode going. And then later, when again Odo is questioning rom in his office they have similar interactions um yes. he says i want to go back to my bar and, and odo says quirk's not, not dead, dead yet, yet. <laughs> <laughs> he's like oh well they're gonna keep making him alive by artificial means are they yes he wouldn't want that exactly oh so good the writing he's on like, this episode he's like, was no he's clinging to life all on his own he's yeah. Like, yeah typical, typical. <laughs> <laughs> so good Rom had a sense of humor. Yes, uh, and then even at the so end, good. when uh, when he saves Quark's life with the screaming and everything, yeah, and it was like, "You're a hero. You just you saved, saved your brother's, brother's life." life. And, and the his realization, smile, yeah, drops off. And then his face. it drops, and he starts screaming all over again. And we see, we <laughs> and, see Quark, and Quark starts smiling. Smile, right? <laughs> it's just, it's great because it's like, from at least, especially from the early part of the episode, we it seems like Rom is very much devoted to Quark. Yes. But the moment that he realized that suddenly he could realize this future right. and have access to everything, yeah. that loyalty goes out the window. And he's yes. just he's ready for it, man. He's already looking for a way to just let Quark go. He won't yeah. kill him, but if someone else does, right. he's on board. Yeah, he's a friendly, all right. He might have been a little slow to realize his opportunities, but man, once he realizes them, he's just as Frankie as the next guy. So So yeah, this one was it was a funny episode, especially from Rom's character. Odo was a great character. Kira revealed things. And Dax didn't say a single thing, I don't think. Did Dax have yeah, a single did. line? She had one line. She had one I line. Swear. And that's where, that's where when she and uh, uh, she and uh, Cisco were at Quark's bar, and Odo walks in with the list. Yes. And she says, and Cisco says, you look like somebody – he said, what's wrong, Constable? You look like you've lost your best friend. Right, And she's yes. like, oh, is Quark dead? And, she's like, and he's like, no, Quark is still alive. Yeah. That's it. Yes. She doesn't talk anymore I swear, after that. I swear, Terry Farrell, Dax's actress, man, she was getting paid good, did not do much for these first to, two to seasons. show up. Show up and get some spots painted on her face. Oh, my and gosh. And that's it. I she mean, probably, it, she spent more time in the chair getting those dots on her face than she did on set for this episode. Yeah. And I mean, and, I mean, heck, we didn't see O'Brien at all this episode. Oh wow, yeah, and you're totally right. Didn't we, even think we about don't, that. We don't see Jake this episode. We don't see nope. Nog. We only got to see Bashir for one scene, and that uh, was early yeah, on, just to help that out was, with, yeah, with when they were in the bar when they first discovered that Quark had been shot. We don't even see him again later on 
when um, the guy tries to finish the job. They right. call for Sis- they call for Bashir to come back to the infirmary, but we never see him That's true. come back to the infirmary. Yeah. So we really only saw him for that beginning scene. So yeah. a lot of characters were were wholly absent. And it always makes me wonder on stuff like that because clearly they're there. They're they're on set. They're right. filming it. And so just like What's the? I wonder what the contract is like. What's the agreement? Because I mean, it's clearly an ensemble cast. Right. So I, I'm assuming that it's just you know you have to be. I I always assumed it was they had to be there every day, whether the episode was about them or not, because of the fact that you're supposed to be living in a contained space on a starship, on a space station, whatever. So the what? likelihood of you not being around, right, is, is slim to nil. My thought has been. I imagine they're filming these episodes pretty close together. Maybe there's a lot of overlap. So where one character has a lot of feature in a particular episode, they get to shoot a lot of their scenes, but like maybe like the very next day they're shooting scenes from the next episode. And so another character being more prominent in that episode gets to be there more. Um, that's that's entirely possible, it. especially considering, uh, you know, back then, you know, the, the show's, the the seasons were so long, you know, you had 20, 22 episodes and I'm sure that there was a lot of back to back filming. You know, they, yeah. all the actors will tell you about days where, you know, they were shooting on set for 14, 16 hours, I'm sure. you know? So I'm like, there's no way you were just doing just one episode. They were probably filming several episodes right. or several different parts of episodes. Cause right. you know, especially if you have to like, deconstruct and reconstruct the set or move things around you probably want to get all of the scenes done that you need for right that set right and now that set is done you can clear that area you can put another set and you can do whatever and now you got to do the next part which right. has got to be just nerve-wracking in the extreme oh I'm okay sure. imagine you're like okay well this scene is for the morning and this scene is the afternoon you're in the same spot it's a different episode that's gonna that's gonna be finished for, you know, it's going to air weeks from now, but we got to get it all done today because we only have right. access to this today. Right. That would drive me nuts. Right. I'm like, no, we, we got to do these one at a time, guys. Film the whole episode <laughs> to conclusion. Now we restart and do the next one. Yeah. Let's go. Well, you're certainly right in this episode because they had to reset the uh, set for the Cardassian version of what it looks like. So, yeah. Yeah. There was some of that. And when I was in theater in college, yeah, there's. I mean, we would spend, you know, a lot of time setting up those sets, but once you got to knowing what you were doing, you could presumably start doing it pretty on point, especially if uh, people who are really good at it. So I don't doubt that they're, those sets are coming up and coming down real quick. But absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm just, uh, I'm just mad. I want more of Dax. Come on, guys. I guess I should just stop complaining about it. I've been complaining about it for. I guess ages now. It's weird considering how much we already like the character, how little we've got of the character in in And to be very fair, I don't know where she would be in this episode. Like this is an episode where it makes sense that she and even O'Brien would be absent because they weren't there back then. So yeah. yeah. And 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 obviously even all of the Starfleet officers fit that. You know, they were not there back then. Right. They would not have been key players really now. I right. mean, even like Cisco's part of it was just kind of just that first part in the beginning. And it makes sense he's be there because, again, there's a attempted murder on the station that he commands. Right. So, yes, he'd be involved. But after that, he's pretty much window dressing. You don't right. need him. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's um, it makes sense why there's very little interaction from them. But again, for such a obviously compelling character to still have so little 
I know. It stands out. It, it's it it's glaring at this point. Yeah. And you're just like, we know so much about Kira. And we know we're learning more and more about Quark and Odo. And Quark is supposed to be more of a, you know, a peripheral character in his own right. Right. But we know so much about him already. And yet yeah. here's this one main character that we know very little about. So, yeah, it, yeah. it obviously stands out a lot. Yeah. It really just felt in this episode she was thrown a bone of, here's a line for you to say. It's like. Well, <sighs> and, and I think that kind of goes back to the, again, the early 90s of we, we have pretty faces. Let's use them. Gotcha. So even if there's even if there's no reason really for her to be here, right. we're gonna make a reason because she looks good on yeah. camera, and we want we want to see that, you know, and <laughs> yeah, and her and obviously her being with Cisco is not a problem because we've already established they have a they have a previous relationship. They were yeah. friends in the other whatever. So yeah, they know each other. So it makes sense that in this scene, which we can view as kind of like downtime, basically the officer sitting in Quark's, you know. Um, she would be there in his company, yeah. but that's right. it. That's it. Nothing else. Right. So, yeah. Well, I think we've pretty much, you know, talked this one all the way through. Yeah. Any final thoughts, takeaways uh, about this episode? I feel like I got it all out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It was a great episode. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad we got to experience this one. Um, look forward to more. I mean, it, it, we've definitely hit on a theme here with mm -hmm. deep space nine these type of episodes are really good uh, and they're different from tng tng yes. could not pull this type of episode off this is not a mm. tng style episode so it deep space nine has its own type of episode and i look forward to more so absolutely i think this episode definitely highlights and really begins to highlight those differences between um, what it does and what and what next generation was about and um kind of telling a different kind of worldview from what we had seen of again starfleet and the federation from next gen versus how it's portrayed here and right. and also kind of the future of the federation as we see it here right. um on deep space nine you know a lot more internal politic a lot more um <clears throat> dealing with the more real world implications behind certain action decisions of of political forces, power parties, you know, Cardassians, Bajorans, and so forth. Right. A lot more of that than we've ever really seen or had to deal with from Next Gen, because again, Next Gen, there was a there was a different alien group every week. Here, we have to sit with the same groups. We have to see that right. evolving bit. Yeah. So definitely enjoy that, and it is something that, uh, the only spoiler I'll give, that it, it is something that um, they come back to a lot. They rely on a lot. So um, Good. I think that's another reason why this show will stand the test of time better than some of the other Trek shows, even next generation, like next generation still holds up, but I think over time it will hold up less and less. Whereas this one, cause it gives you, cause this one gives you more conflicts that are relatable. Right. And um, I think that that's always going to be the key point to making something relevant for longer. Right. So, yeah. But all right, guys, I think that is going to be it for us here tonight. Um, you can always catch us on any platform where you listen to um, podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify. You can find us as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. And again, on Twitter and Facebook as well, also as The Fire Caves. So join us and join us uh, next time. And uh, you'll enjoy that as well. <laughs> Until then, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.